Our text for tonight is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. Hear the word of God. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment that all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So it's really funny how God works. And I've had a lot of reminders in the last couple weeks just of this, his constant presence in conversations that Chris and I have been having with you guys. Um, if you, do you want to chair? This one in my office. You guys grab whatever you want, please. Yeah, there's extra ones. Wherever you're comfortable, please. But we were talking with the painter who painted my office. We were talking about the Holy Spirit, and then we left and went to confirmation class, and we were talking about the Holy Spirit, and... I was preparing this. I had the, the text broken apart a little bit differently a couple weeks ago, and I changed it to make the flow and just understanding a little bit better. But a few weeks ago, we were thinking about the passages, or I was thinking about the passage I was going to preach, and we got talking about discipline. And in the car, Holden mentioned something about discipline. I don't remember the context of how we got talking about it. And I don't even know if you remember what you said, Holden. But you said, discipline is just punishing kids. And the, the comment actually set both Chris and I back a little bit, especially for me, because two things came to my head immediately. The first was, I need to make sure when I discipline my son and my daughters that I'm doing it in a godly and God-honoring way. And second, it made me think that if I asked most people what they thought discipline was, they probably have a very similar response to Holden. They would probably this concept of punishing somebody. And so I can understand, Holden, where you were coming from. The home that I grew up in was full of discipline and behavior correcting. My dad, who, who I truly miss greatly, was a strong and a very, very firm man. He grew up in poverty in Wales. He left school at 15. He literally made his own way. It was the, what he called the school of hard, knock, hard knocks. He had never graduated anything, and his style of parenting was not particularly outward and kind. He grew up in the middle of World War II in poverty in Wales, and, and people weren't showing love and affection, especially men. He was very firm with me. He had incredibly high expectations of me. Most of those expectations came because he could see things that were available to me that he never even had the opportunity of and that I didn't appreciate because it was all that I knew. It's hard to appreciate everything that you know when it's right there in front of you, so he'd get mad. And he would, he would discipline me and correct me. And this, this negative view of his discipline formed me when I was younger. And it was probably the reason that I went through such an angry and mad phase 
And it has also influenced my parenting up into this very day because my parenting tendency is behavior correcting and, and, and discipline. And it's not always godly and kind because sometimes try as we might and try as, as much as, especially the parents in the room will know this, you try and you swear you will never be your parents and then you can actually hear the words. You can hear them in your parents' voice in your head as they're coming out of your mouth and you like, no, oh, it's gone. I already said that. But there's another side of discipline in my life as well. As many of you know, especially the guys that are in here, masculinity and an appropriate biblical masculinity is something that I've had a really strong interest in what I believe I have a calling in for a long time about helping men grow in their Christ-likeness and forming them into strong, kind, firm Christian men. And that, that was the driving force of why we started the Lion's Den, why we started that men's ministry five years ago. And in that space, I've talked about discipline so many times, but from a personal standpoint. The, the words of Jocko Willink, the Navy SEALs, he said, discipline equals freedom. His concept is that living a highly disciplined life actually leads you to a more free life. So the question today that we're, we're going to really dig deep is what is discipline? Is it punishing? Is it behavior correcting? Is it something that equals freedom? Is it bad? Is it good? And what's the difference between human discipline and godly discipline? And what we're going to do is we're going we're to dive into God's word and to look at what godly discipline looks like, why it's good and necessary, and how it should actually shape the worldly discipline that we have. And we're going to look at three areas specifically of godly discipline. We're going to look at retribution, prevention, and education. I give this reminder a lot as we work through Hebrews, but it is so important that we remember who this letter was originally written to because we have to look at it in its original context before we can extract things out that we can apply to our lives today. And it was written to Jews. We talked about the three groups of Jews it was primarily written to back when it was warm outside. But it was written to Jews, these, these Jews who were in their process of their Christian journey. They've accepted Jesus as the Messiah or they're in an intellectual place where they're coming to accept Jesus as the Messiah. But they've been punished and pushed out of their Jewish community. They were literally ostracized. They, their livelihoods and in many times their lives were at stake because they were totally countercultural. The Pharisees and Jewish culture was pushing on them and they were standing firm in their faith. And they were experiencing persecution by their friends and their relatives, people who were close to them in their lives, people who knew who they were because they had faith in Jesus. And so to put it bluntly, these strangers were, or these believers were no strangers to persecution because it was part of their experience as they were growing and believing in Christ. And so the author is directly addressing discipline that they are experiencing that's coming from God and why it is actually a good thing for them and not a bad thing. And so I think what we're going to see is we're going to see when we're done here and when we internalize this, that the discipline that we have in our life that comes from God and from godly people is actually good and not bad. You guys also know that I love words a lot. And so, like in previous chapters, we've talked about how words are really important, but the word for discipline in Greek used is paideia, which comes from the Greek word, the root word of pious. Pais, I think it's pious actually, which means child. So the word discipline actually means training of a child. That's what discipline means. It doesn't mean punishing. Hold it means training of a child. The problem is that's actually this really, really broad term. Because what it really literally means is it means anything that a parent needs to do to train their child. So 
We want to imprint this definition of discipline on our minds as we talk about the rest of the text because we can't apply it to our lives as either parents. Some of us are parents in this room. And for those who aren't parents, you're leaders. There are people in your life that you lead. And so the same kind of discipline is going to be applied there. And I think, truthfully, that we would all agree here that goals are important. Does anybody here believe that goals are not important? Does that, yeah, exactly. Does anybody? <laughs> Bueller? Good. So we have goals at work. You have goals at school. We have them in our family life. We use goals, right, to drive us towards things. So our goal in discipline should be for the training up of those in our lives that we are disciplining. This could be our children. It could be uh, people that we lead at work. It could be family members. If you're in a pastoral capacity, it could be people in your flock that you shepherd. And this approach of understanding discipline as a formational tool, one that is used to train us and to actually make us mature. We've talked about growing in maturity, right? That idea is that we're growing in our sanctification. We're becoming more mature believers as we become more Christ-like. It's critical on how we view God and his discipline and how we will use discipline when we use it with other people as a formational tool. And so one other big point, we talked about this with God the Father and, and things previously, is that we have to separate, before we dive into these three areas, we have to separate the fact that God's discipline is different than his judgmental punishment. So if you, as a believer in Jesus, having saving faith, you're justified before the Lord. We say this over and over and over again. Your debt is paid. You are not subjected to God's judgmental punishment. That's reserved for those who are dead in their sin. All you need to be saved is to believe in Jesus. However, God still does use discipline and difficulties in our lives to drive home important lessons for our maturity, especially when it surrounds personal sin. And so that's part of what I want us to carry through as we study where his retribution, his prevention, and education through his discipline take place and how those things are going to form us. How many of you have been punished for something in your life? How many of you have been punished for something in your life in like the last seven days? <laughs> right, exactly. Maybe even seven minutes, who knows? I know that my life that I have received both fair and loving discipline, and I have received mean, angry, unfair discipline in my life. But I'm going to tell you a story about fair discipline that I received. I was probably six or seven. I don't even think my mom, it's, it's a shame my mom's mobility that, that she's not able to always come but i i because I, I wonder i'll have to ask her i wonder if she even remembers this she probably doesn't remember this but i was six or seven and we lived on a cul-de-sac and i'd gone down to the street at the end to play with the kids because it was time in the neighborhood where everybody was kind of the same age and just like now i loved things with buttons and there was technology and i just thought all that stuff was really cool and they had by the fireplace they had a toy bin and i'd opened it up and there was like a scientific calculator like solidly 1980s though really awesome maybe it's like a fine or a financial calculator something really big oh, that was really really cool and i was typing numbers in it doing complex quadratic equations i'm just kidding but i was playing with it. i thought it was cool and i wanted it so you know what i did i put it in my pocket and i took it and i walked home and the distance between that house and my house i put in my notes two minutes it was probably like 30 seconds and you could see the two houses from each other and so i walked home confidently with my stolen calculator in my pocket and 
I opened the front door. My mother was there waiting for me. This was before the days of cell phones and text messaging. So somebody had made a phone call in the 40 seconds from when I had left that house to go to, to my house. And my mom was waiting there accosting me and uh, she was less than happy. And she asked if I had stolen the calculator from the neighbors. And I'm sure that I lied. I'm sure I didn't come out and ask for forgiveness and repent. I'm sure that I lied and she found out the truth. And I don't remember what the exact punishment was, but I do remember that I had to walk back, I had to return the calculator, I had to make amends, and I'm sure I received a spanking, and I never ever did it again. But it sticks in my memory, because I had a lot of spankings growing up, but what sticks in my memory about this is that while my mom was firm, and I did receive a well-needed punishment, it was done from a place of loving correction. I don't remember her screaming at me about it. I don't remember her berating me about it. I remember her correcting my behavior, expressing why it was wrong, and punishing me for it. And she wasn't happy with what I had done, but she still loved me. She ensured that I understood the seriousness of why this was unacceptable behavior. How we needed to put up boundaries and fences to make sure it didn't happen again. But she continued to communicate that she loved me. My mom disciplined me, but she didn't kick me out of the family. She didn't write me out of the will. She didn't remove her love from me. Her discipline for me was an act of her love. This is the same way that God punishes believers. Just like my mom who wanted to correct my behavior to bring me back into full community, sometimes when God disciplines us, he's doing it to punish us with the, the, the desire to bring us back into community. He's, he's using his loving hand to punish us, to correct our behavior so that we become reunited with community. It's similar with the, with the discipline of prevention. And parents, I think you will know this too. That street right there, Shenango, is a crazy busy street. I mean, it's a neighborhood street, but people fly up it. The, the, between that stop sign and here, it's like a drag race sometimes. It's out of this world, especially when we're sitting where Walter and Brian and Grayson are sitting. Like we're watching TV and I can see the cars zoom by. So you can imagine pretty easily that if you had small kids on a busy street and the kids are playing and they kick the ball into the street and the ball goes rolling and the child's desire is to run after and chase after the ball. So what are you going to do? You're going to run and grab the kid and you're going to discipline them. As an act of prevention. They, they, they don't understand that the street is dangerous. All they care about is their ball that's rolled into the street. So your job as a parent is to lovingly discipline them with the attitude of prevention so that they understand the seriousness of the street so they don't get hit by the 3,000 pound car. We're not doing this to punish them. We're doing it to prevent them from harm because we love them. It's an act of our love. We're training them, we're maturing them, but we're disciplining them. The same goes with godly discipline. Sin is our car flying down Shenango Avenue. And we're the toddler running after the ball, unaware of the car that's going to hit us because Michael's truck is blocking the view. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I think Brian's truck is too. The trucks. Thanks a lot, Mike. <laughs> yeah. My truck. And now we have to go back to work about bringing everyone back into community. Uh, <laughs> But there are moments in our lives where God disciplines us preemptively to prevent us from doing something greater, to prevent us from sinning deeper. Sometimes he gives us hardship or discipline to prevent us going down a path that we should never, ever go down. 
He may give us something incredibly difficult and painful so that we get to grow and mature by it, thereby preventing something even greater, more painful, more sinful from taking place. Just like the parent wanting to prevent their, their uh, child from, from getting hurt and disciplining them, God does the same to us because he's a good God. And so his discipline has to be good and it has to be righteous because we're his adopted children. He loves us. Which then drives us into the third way that God can use discipline. He can use it to educate us. I am a well-educated guy. I never thought I would be a well-educated guy. I hated school. I barely graduated high school. That's not even a joke. It's My GPA leaving high school was at a two, and it was not a high two. And that's not anything I am remotely proud of. I think the sad part is I think my father was very worried I would never make it out of school. And two master's degrees later, and hopefully maybe one day if God thinks it's the right path for me, a PhD, um, my dad would probably be chuckling pretty hard because he was very worried there was a lot of behavior correcting and discipline wrapped around school. But what's the purpose of education? It, it's got to be more than just being able to say you've got a couple master's degree and nail them to the wall or, or throw some letters after your, your name on your email signature, right? The purpose of education is growth and maturity. It's supposed to grow us into a better way of living. You're supposed to go to college to challenge the way you think, to go to the academy to grow yourself. It's not just so that you can have a piece of paper hanging on the wall. We know this in Christian education, our, our formational education. Good works don't save us, but as we grow in sanctification in Christ, our works change because we're being educated in God's economy. That's why we join together as a family here and we share. This, what we do here is important, but what we're going to go do when we're done with this, when we eat and we socialize and we sit by the fire, that's even more important. That's part of our education. We share stories. We share pains. We share joys. We educate each other. We support each other. We iron sharpening iron. God uses his discipline the same way. He uses it at times in our lives to educate us into a better way of living, into a more proper way of living. It's not about being more pious. He says, hey, if you live life within these boundaries, it actually works a ton better. It, it, it's kinder. We're, we're less selfish. We're more generous. We, we're more forgiving. So sometimes his discipline is to educate us because we know that sin is real and we know that sin gets in the way of our godly living. And I actually think it's kind of funny because in the current cultural world, we keep telling people, you just need to be true to yourself, Mom. Just, just true to you. You do you. It's all about you. You, 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 you. As I say to Adam, me, 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 me. <laughs> it's like one giant place of narcissism. Because we're all selfishly motivated anyways. I was an only child. I liked getting the best first of everything. So I need godly discipline to educate me, to remind me that I need to put myself last. God gives us a better way of living. Matthew 20, 28, he says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Most of us don't actually love serving, but we do like to be served. It's fun when we go somewhere and somebody else waits on us. So God has to remind us through his discipline, through his education, that that's nice to enjoy that. But actually what's more important is to be the one serving. And so many times in my life as a youth and an adult, God has disciplined me for the purpose of my education, driving me deeper into a place of humility, educating me in the ways of right living, growing me, maturing me, 
something I couldn't do without his loving discipline. At some point, when we have more time, I'll share some of the stories that led me to leave where I was and to go into the calling that I believe I'm called into full-time ministry. It was not it was not an easy process. And I don't mean that because there were lots of things to do. It was the literal breaking down of me, of God disciplining me and showing me where all of my priorities were out of whack and all of my idols were in the wrong place. And I was hurting the people that I loved because I was living for me and not for him. And so all of this is why the text reminds us, see, now we're getting to the text, that we're God's children and his discipline is good. So verses 5 through 7. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses, I'm sorry, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary of him when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure because God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? This is the reminder for us, family, that the discipline we experience is actually for our good. It's for our good. Just like a good parent disciplines their child lovingly, God disciplines us lovingly. And that's why we have to separate any of the bad pieces in our human world, our sinful world that may make us think of discipline in that negative light. Because I would imagine, how many of you here have been disciplined poorly in your life? I would imagine it's probably everybody at some point, by somebody. So we have to separate that because that's not how God disciplines us. What it does is it's, it's, it's helping us get to a place of retribution or prevention or education or a mixture of all three of those. God's discipline can, can function in all three of those spheres. Verse 8, if you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. How many of you here have met people who don't discipline their kids? Yeah, it's a mess, right? Like, you guys know that. Like, I mean, you're... you're we're chuckling because we know that. We know that there are, there are families where there's no discipline that exists and the kids run amok. And it doesn't, it, it can kind of be cute and funny when they're this big, but when they're 30 years old and they're in and out of a system and they have perpetual problems, it stops being funny, right? Um, but we know that. That's this concept of illegitimate children. If we're legitimate children of God's, we're going to be under his discipline. Verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? So I realize that not everybody had great parents or, or has always experienced loving discipline. But our God isn't affected by sin like the world is affected by sin. And so if our earthly parents are disciplining us in a godly way, then of course we're going to respect them. Maybe not at the moment, but I can guarantee that we're going to look back like I did 34 years later, and have a memory of a positive disciplining experience, I never stole anything again, ever. Positive experience. So we know that it was good for them. I respect my mother for raising me the right way because she did it from a place to love, for, of love. So we know that God loves us. So his discipline for us is obviously from a place of love. Verses 10 and 11. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. 
For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is awesome. This is the meat and potatoes of the text. So there's this another comparison. The author of Hebrews loves all these back and forth comparisons. Our fathers discipline in God's. Our good father should have disciplined us as it seemed best for them for a short time to grow us. The assumption is good fathers in the moment are making the best decision they can for that moment. Kristen has liked to say, and it's really changed why I've looked at people, everybody's always doing their best. Sometimes people's best isn't always that great. But most of the time, for the most part, everyone's trying to do their best. So we get to the Lord. He disciplines us so that we can share in his holiness. This is amazing. Our, our fathers discipline us for a short time as they seem, uh, seem best, but then God disciplines us for us good that we share in his holiness. And see, as we separate more and more from sin and our heart gets to go deeper in God, that this, is, this is the worldly, tangible uh, reward of discipline, is that we get to grow. When we look at it this way, it's from a place of growth. It grows us in our holiness. It changes our priorities. We actually lean into the good, living, joyful God instead of our sin. That doesn't mean we don't sin. But it means that our hearts are being changed and that we're being formed. And we get to look at these things with joy. Maybe not in the moment, but in our reflection we sure do. I know I've said this before. It's not even in my notes. But nobody looks back on their life and is like, well, those easy things really formed me. Nobody. We are all formed by the incredible difficult things, the suffering. That's how God is using it to shape you. Which means when you look at it that way, you can come out the backside of it rejoicing. It doesn't mean that you didn't repent, you didn't ask for forgiveness. Of course, those are all parts of that process. But what it does mean is that you're getting to share in God's holiness, that he's working in you and he's forming you. Because his discipline yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It's really, really good. He forms us and it gets us to the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So as we wrap up, two takeaways that I want us to imprint on our hearts as we think about this and we go into our weeks because life is going to happen when you leave here. And it's easy to be plugged into the things when you're with the people, but we want to carry them into the world, right? The first is to look at the discipline that we receive from the Lord as formational. The discipline and the struggles that we get in our lives is to treat them as things that are going to grow us. Whether it's for our retribution or prevention or education, the bottom line is it is all for our growth. For our growth out of sin and into that deeper holiness with the Lord. Look for the fruits that the discipline gives you. Look how you are changed. We are a forward-looking people. We are one of hope, right? We are a people of hope. We are not defined by the sins of our past, but we still look back because that's where we get to see the pathway. We get, to, we get to look back and see where the dots connected. We don't get to, a lot of times, see how the dots connect in real time, but you sure get to see God's hand when you look behind. And that's where you can turn around and you can look and say, okay, I get this. This is for my growth. This is so I get to drive into a deeper holiness of the Lord. Look for these fruits that discipline gives us. Then look how it forms you and it changes you. It's going to drive you from things that are outside of God's, away from things that are outside of God's economy, into things that are in his economy, and then you're going to find that you're able to rejoice. You get to rejoice in godly discipline. And the second, especially for the parents, future parents, or any of you with oversight of other humans, 
is how we apply discipline to the lives that are, that are those that we are entrusted to our care. Our sinful hearts have a tendency to go straight to punishment without thinking deeper about training and formation and maturing. I mean, it's easy. How many parents have said, if you do that again, I swear I will take everything away and you will never see daylight again. As long as you live, you'll never leave your room. <laughs> you will... Yeah, everybody in here is nodding their head that has children because we all have done this. But when we change the way we approach discipline in our lives, the people are entrusted to us actually changes them as well. So everybody here will be called at some point in their life to discipline people in their lives. It might be at work, it might be at home, it might be with family, it might be in this kind of a pastoral setting. How we do it is important. It must be done through evaluation and prayer must take place before we discipline them. This evaluation of prayer is what's actually going to get us into the right mindset. Nobody ever responds well when we all blow off the handle, which is our, which is default position of our sinful hearts. Thing happens, I shall punish you. Why do I think? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to make sure I look at everybody. <laughs> now I'm just going to stare at you the rest of the time, but. This is true in my case. I, it, it's easy to go to a place of immediate punishment. This is what's going to happen. If you ever do this again, so help me God. But, so help me God. So help me God. Yeah, see, look at that. The Holy Spirit. Amen. But if we take that time, so help me God. That's perfect. And then we can pray to God. God, I am so mad right now. I cannot believe this person did that. Lord, help me. That just, just that space. Now we can approach it and we can be loving and kind. It puts us in the right mindset. That doesn't change if we have to be firm and if we have to, have to enact consequences. But if we approach discipline as a way to train and mature those in our care, not from the place of punishing kids, as Holden said, it actually, it actually changes everything and people are more receptive. We've talked about this before. How many people ever respond positively to somebody screaming in their face? My dad was. <laughs> the Marines. Yeah, I know. You're just, but it's, everybody needs everybody needs an outlier. <laughs> My dad was a yeller, and and didn't get through to me any better because he was yelling at me. We should think about those things. We all have a tendency to go to that place, but if we approach it from a place of maturing and training, we can still enact consequences because sometimes. We have to enact consequences. There are consequences for our actions, even if we're forgiven. But godly discipline has to come from a place of love. It has to come from a place of love. And so we are to emulate godliness when we discipline those entrusted to our care. This actually helps them grow and will help us act in a more godly fashion, a kinder fashion. And Jocko, the no-neck Navy SEAL, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guy, Beast, he's a beast of a man. If you've never looked this man up, he is an absolute just crushing beast. He was right, though. Discipline does equal freedom, but it might not actually be in the way that he thinks. What discipline does is it actually gives us freedom to grow in Jesus, to better emulate him, and to train up others in our lives in a loving way. It also gives us freedom to safely operate within those boundaries that God's provided us, knowing exactly what's right and what's wrong. That's when we talk about Christian liberty and Christian freedom. That's what it is. You can do whatever you would like as long as you stay within this boundary box now when you fall outside that boundary box you're still forgiven and we still love and we're going to work on repentance and bring you back in but the better way of living lives within this boundary box 
Proverbs 22, 6 is one of my favorite verses. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's true. Kids, those we are called to lead, mimic our behaviors. They do what we do, not what we say. Those of you who are flight instructors in the room, this is the law of primacy in teaching, and it's true. If you tell your student, don't run the checklist while you're taxiing down the taxiway, you need to do it in the run-up area, but you run the ta- checklist down running, going down the taxiway because you're trying to save some time because the line is 14 airplanes long at Centennial, your students, when they're by themselves, will mimic your behavior, not what you said. It's really hard to unlearn things when we learn them wrong the first time. So if we train our children, if we train those in our care up in the way that they should go, just like God does with us, with loving discipline, the world becomes a better place. People are able to internalize this more. People get to grow better. We all become more patient, become kinder. We're less prone to yelling because we're approaching everything with prayer and with love. So my charge for us tonight is to look upon godly discipline with joy. Be grateful for the moments when you're disciplined. Even Proverbs today, I don't know if I'll be able to find it fast enough, but Proverbs today was was really, really, really good. And it was, I'm going to see if I can find it really quick. It's um, right at the end of 13. So, you know, we read a, a chapter of Proverbs according to the day. And it was right at the very end of 13. Let me see here. Sorry. Pause, pause, pause. I got it here. Uh, man. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion, companion of fools will suffer harm. It was one of them. This idea that, that being around other wise people, that training people up and disciplining them in a loving way changes people. It, it changes who we are. It allows us to grow. Did you find it? What is it? 26. Is it uh, 26? Oh, sorry, 24. <clears throat> oh yeah, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. That's been a, a verse that's been used and misused in wrong ways for a long time. Called to discipline each other, but it's supposed to come from a place of love because we are reminded that when God disciplines us, it is for our good, it is for our growth, and it is out of love. Let's pray.